Well, we, we're going to start to talk about, uh, about an interesting problem. And that's the problem of malchut, of uh, kingship. And the specific problem that we want to deal with is how did Yehuda become the king of Israel? How, what was his, what did he accomplish? Now, I want to just remind you of an interesting Ramban. It's not on the sheet, but I remind you of it. The Ramban says in the parish of Vayechi, I mean, I'm going to telescope it. It's a very long comment that the Ramban makes on the Pasuk, Lo Yosu Shevet. Lo Yosu Shevet. He says, that's what uh, Yaakov Avinu said about Yehuda. Uh, and he says this, let me say it in this way. If Yehuda was promised kingship over Israel by, um, by Yaakov Avinu, how is it possible that Shaul, who came from the tribe of Binyamin, was the first king in Israel? That's the question. And the answer is, according to the Ramban, that there's no contradiction. That that Yehuda was promised that the king would be one of his progeny, which happened eventually, and that was David HaMelech. David became the king of, of Israel, David HaMelech. <coughs> but that didn't mean that there couldn't be another king in Israel. There could be a different king. And so Shaul, who came from a different tribe, came from the tribe of Binyamin, was appointed the first king of Israel by Shmuel Hanavi. Shmuel Hanavi. And the assumption is, of course, he did it. He did it under direct guidance from heaven. It was like Shmuel Hanavi went and he said, okay, I'm going to find a good-looking tall guy and make him king. Even though Shaul HaMelech was probably good-looking and tall. But he was certainly tall. But... but uh, it didn't matter, according to the Ramban. So what about the promise? What about the promise that Yaakov made to Yehuda? So the Ramban says, okay, there'll always be a king in Israel from the family of Yehuda. David HaMelech, his children, his children's children, forever. But there could also be another king in Israel. There could be another king in Israel. In fact, in fact, the Ramban makes this quite a remarkable comment. He says, Had Shaul HaMelech been worthy? You know, eventually Shaul HaMelech was deposed and, and uh, killed. Uh, but the Ramban says that if Shaul HaMelech had been worthy of being the king in Israel, so there would have been two kings in Israel. There would have been Shaul and there would have been David. That's what the that's what the uh, Ramban says in the parasha of Vayechi. Not this week's parasha, but next week's parasha. So this is a, a different kind of concept of Malchut. We usually think, we usually think of Malchut as being a singular kind of a, a feature. Like, you have one king. If you have two kings, they're usually in rebellion against each other or hate each other or fight against each other. 
But now the Ramban says you could have two kings in Israel. Now it's also interesting, well, I don't know if this, is, this the Ramban doesn't say. What I'm about to say, he doesn't say. But it is interesting that for a long period of time, from the death of Shlomo HaMelech until the exile of the ten tribes in 722 BCE, right? Shlomo HaMelech died. His son, his son's name was Rechavam. Rechavam became the king of Yehuda, the tribe, the geographic area called Yehuda, which is Yerushalayim and south. And somebody else was appointed king of the north. And that somebody else was, his name was Yeravam ben Nevat. And Yeravam ben Nevat was appointed king by, also by a prophet. Achia Hashiloni. Those of you I see, you know, you have to read through the Tanakh again to get it, uh, you know, it's we're in Israel. In Israel everybody knows Tanakh, as I heard that once. So, so understand that for a period of time it turned out that Yeravam ben Avad was a terrible person and a terrible king. But when he was appointed, when Yeravam ben Avad was appointed, he must have been worthy of that appointment because he was appointed by a Navi, by a prophet. So you see that for a period of time in Israel, after not only Shaul, not only Shaul and David, were uh, were two kings in Israel, sort of, at the same time. But and the Rabban says that could have gone on forever if Shaul Melech was worthy. But but it it didn't go on forever. What happened was <coughs> what happened was uh, Shaul Melech was not worthy of maintaining the the crown. Just as Yeravam ben Nevat was not worthy of maintaining the, the crown of Israel. So eventually, when the ten tribes were exiled, right? The ten tribes were exiled by the Assyrians. The Assyrians, the ten tribes were exiled by the Assyrians. Then all that was left was Yehuda. And since the kingship of David Hamelech was promised by Yaakov to Yehuda. So, uh, the kingship maintained and there was a child after child after child, even though they weren't, uh, mostly were not good people. They were idolaters, the kings in Yehuda. Right? And eventually, they were sent into exile. But the idea that David HaMelech remains the king, is the king of Israel, became firmly entrenched by that time. And even the what they call in English the Exilarch, the Resh Galuta, the head of the Jewish community in Babylon, was also in Babylonian, not Babylon, Babylonia, was a descendant of David Amalek. He came from the family of King David, just as Rabbi Huda Nasi came from the family also of David Hamelech. So that the idea of coming from the family of David Hamelech became the only option for kingship. But at the beginning, at the beginning, there were other options. Right? It could have been, it could have been from the tribe of Yehuda uniquely, it could, uh, 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 David HaMelech. It could have been two kings. It could have been one king who was not from, uh, from David HaMelech. So that means Yehuda, even though he was promised 
the kingship of Israel by Yaakov Avinu. Right? Yehuda was promised. But that promise had a shaky aspect to it. Like, you know, it, it will be fulfilled or not. It will be fulfilled exclusively or not. It will be fulfilled in the most perfect way or not. Right? That, that is what the Ramban, that is what the Ramban argues. That, of course, after Yaakov Avinu, the family of David Amelech, uh, the Yehuda, the tribe of Yehuda, had like a special connection to Malchut. But that connection was not, was not unique. Like it, it, it wasn't uh, uh, going to be the only connection to Malchut. So this is a kind of a strange thing. That in history, in history, it was decided that David HaMelech would be the only king of Israel. But at the beginning, when Yaakov Avinu gave him the bracha, lo so shevet when Yaakov Avinu gave him the bracha, it wasn't so so well established. Now, what happened? How did Yehuda become king? Because usually, usually or often, uh, the first person to become, who might become king, is the oldest son. Right? That, the Bechor. The Bechor has traditionally certain privileges and one of the privileges is that if you needed a king, you would give it to the Bechor. The, you could ask anybody from England, they know all these rules. They know exactly, anybody who comes from England knows exactly who has to die in order for William to become king. Now, they all know this. I don't know if they learn it, or it's just like, like you know, know about, in America, you know about baseball players. In England, you know about the royal family. Uh, so you can ask anybody. You can ask somebody in Spain. You can ask somebody in Sweden. They have a king in Sweden. Yes. You, know, you ask all those people. They all know. They all know who the next king is going to be. And for us, it's always the oldest son of the previous king of Israel. Now, in the time of the, that we're talking about, Yaakov Avinu and Yehuda and uh, etc., there was no king. You couldn't inherit kingship. There was no kingship to inherit. So, so, <coughs> um, so who is Yehuda? Who is Yehuda? Yehuda was the fourth son of the first of wife. Now, now the fact that Yaakov Avinu had four wives complicates it a little bit. But there's no doubt that Yehuda was the fourth son of the first wife, right? The fourth son of the first wife, and that um, and his mother, whose name was Leah, called him. Yehuda, right? And why did he? Why did she call him Yehuda? So, if you look at the sheet, now this sheet is a little complicated, so I can't find anything. Here, you see the top of the sheet, the very top of the sheet. The first pasuk on the right, it says, "Vatahar od Tahar od means she became pregnant again. She, Leah. Leah became pregnant again, but Ben. 
ונאמר, הפעם אודה את השם. Fourth son, Ruvain Shimon Levi Yehuda, right? The fourth son. And she says, Hapam is the person. Hapam Ode et Hashem. Now, I'm going to give thanks to God. I'm going to give thanks to God. That's what the Pasuk says. She called him Yehuda. That if you look at the word Yehuda, hidden in the word Yehuda is the word Hodaya. Or ode, right? Be thankful, thanksgiving, right? All of that is, is in the word, is in that word Yehuda. So of course the question is, why, what was she so thankful about? I mean, every time you give birth, it's something to be thankful about. Any kind of normal, a normal birth, a normal result, is something that deserves hodaya. So what exactly, what, what she just woke up? She didn't realize that she had three sons previously. And she decided that, I mean, everybody knows that when, uh, when a woman has a baby, you say birkata gomel. Right? The woman says birkata gomel. Or someone who represents her. But, I mean, every time. You don't wait for your fourth, your fourth son to say birkata gomel. So Rashi says this. Rashi says this. That Leah. Imagine. Rashi's going to explain this. Rashi says that Leah knew that Yaakov Avinu was supposed to have 12 sons. And he had four wives. So she made this calculation. And she said everyone should have three sons. Each of the four wives should have four sons. And three sons, right? Right? 12 times 4, I mean 3 times 4 is 12. So she had a fourth son, which meant that somehow she was given this extra schut, uh, this extra schut, this extra merit to have another son, which means that somebody else would have fewer sons. Who was the somebody else that we all know? What? Rachel. Rachel had only, only two sons. She had only two sons, not three. So Leah not only had more children and had children earlier, and uh, but she beat out Rachel in every... Except for the fact that Yaakov wanted to marry Rachel before, more than he wanted to marry Leah. There's no doubt that Rachel, after she gets married, kind of disappears. You know, from the family. Okay, there's the matter of the Trafim. But in any, in any event, in any event, Yehuda... Yehuda was born under a special aura. There's something special about the birth of Yehuda. We don't know how to define it. We don't know how to get a grab onto it. But after all, she says she is Leah. She says, Yehuda, Odeh, I will thank God especially for the birth of this fourth son that I had. Now, if you look at the Pasuk, if you look at the Pasuk that uh, tells of the birth of Yosef, right? Yosef was the oldest son of Rachel, right? The oldest son of Rachel. So the Pasuk that says that he was born, you see the Pasuk? Vayiskor Elohim et Rachel, Vayishema Eleha, Elohim, Vayiftach et Richma, Vatar Vatelide. So God. Uh, 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 was was kind to Rachel 
and she became pregnant. She she became pregnant. Vatar ben, and she had a son. Vatomer, and she said, God has taken aside or collected together my my embarrassment, this terrible embarrassment that I had because I was not um, because I was not pregnant. I did not bear any sons. Batikra et Shemol Yosef Lemor. Yosef Hashem Li Benacher. Which means, a call, she called him Yosef because every time she called his name, what did she think about? Benacher. Benacher. So in birth, in birth, it's as though the Psukim tell us, Yehuda. Every time his mother called his name, she thought, oh, how glorious it is that I was given this opportunity to have a fourth son. Rachel, every time she called his name Yosef, what did she think? What did she think? Oh, if I only had another son. If I only had another son. It's like, sort of like a, a secret way of saying something. That in the ultimate struggle, and there's going to be a struggle between Yosef and there's going to be a struggle between Yosef and, and, and Yehuda, right? Which culminates to some extent in our parasha. In our parasha, there's going to be this struggle, and this struggle is going to end up with the victory going to, I, I mean, sort of victory going to to Yehuda, because. Yehuda forces Yosef to cry. Right? That's, uh, that's your victory. So, uh, it gets too complicated if I talk about Yaakov. It gets too complicated for me, I mean. Yeah. The thing is, at least most women, many women, when they have their when they have a child, they don't want to ever think about having another child right again. Okay. So, uh, no, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing as Leah. Leah said, I should have had only three sons, and, uh, and I had four. And Rachel says, well, I'll have one. I should have three. Right? So, it, it was this, there's like this little rivalry uh, uh, it's not a rivalry only between Rachel and Leah, but it's a rivalry about who is going to do what is supposed to be done. What's supposed to be done is that the twelve tribes are supposed to are supposed to be the children of, of Yaakov. So now if you turn the page, we'll do it this way. If you turn the page No, don't turn the page. Go back to the first page. I wrote I have all these Sukim at the beginning of Parshat Vayeshev. Right, it was two weeks ago by Yeshev. So the pasuk says says this pasuk uh, gimel. You see Paraglamet Zion pasuk gimel. It says Yisrael. That's Yaakov. Ahav et Yosef mikol banav ki ben skunim hulo. Ben skunim, I guess, means um, he liked them. It's another way of saying he liked him. Right, he liked him. Like uh, Yaakov or, or, uh, or Yitzchak, like Yesav, because he was a hunter, and uh, Avram, like Yitzchak, because he was compliant, he was accepting of the demands of a Baruch Hu. and 
uh, uh, Yaakov liked Yosef because he was Ben Zikunim. Ben Zikunim is a difficult phrase and is treated in different ways by the various commentaries. But we could say, we could say that somehow Yaakov put his hope into Yosef. Yosef was the hope because Yosef was the son of Rachel and Rachel was the woman that he wanted to marry. When you say that he was the woman that he wanted to marry, it means he knew that the union of Yaakov and Rachel would be special. It wasn't just that, you know, that he, uh, he looked at her and he said, oh, good-looking girl. No. He knew that the union of Yaakov with Rachel would produce a special product. And, and Yosef was born. That's the Ben Zikunim. That's the Ben Zikunim. He's something is very important. Vasalo Ketonet Pasim. Whatever Ketonet Pasim is, you know, that's even gotten to be a Broadway show. But I think that what Ketonet Pasim is, it means is a special clothing. It's a special kind of clothing. Now, you know that, uh, that um, special kinds of clothing existed for kings and for priests. Right, the Kohanim and the Malachim had special kind of clothing. The Ramban says there's a posuk in the parish of Titzaveh. The parish of Titzaveh is about Big Day Kuhuna. That the Big Day Kuhuna were the Chavod or the Tiferet. Right, Chavod is glory and Tiferet is more glory. Right, it's like there. So, so the Ramban says, how do you know? What big begadim? What what are these clothing? How do we know what they are? So he says a very simple. He says you look at the kings of foreign nations and see how they dress. They know about kavod and tiferet. That's what the the Ramban said. So Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu did not just give his son Yosef a coat. He gave him a distinguishing coat. I mean, it was not a coat that you could buy in a store. It was not a coat that people, that the other sons could compete about. So that Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu said, Yosef is special. He's special. In what way? We'll see. But it's no doubt that he's special. Pasuk Dalit, Vayiru Echav, Ki Oto Ahav Avihem Ikol Achiv, Vayisnuru Oto. So, the brother saw that the father loved him, him, Yosef. They hated him, because they were all older than him. Which meant that in the pecking order of things, one of them should become the king. And not Yosef. Yosef was given the, you know, he was made king by his father, for giving him this special, special cloak. And they didn't, they didn't agree that that was the way it should be. Pasuk hey. Ba'chalom Yosef chalom. But you have to understand that in, in the Torah, a chalom is a very serious thing. A, a, a dream is very serious. It's not, the, it's not just that it's something that you don't want to, that you try to repress. So you don't want to come out. So you dream it at night when... Repression is more difficult, but a dream is a, one of the words that's used for prophecy. So that means that if a person has a dream, and that dream is comprehensible to him, so it's, it's a prophecy. I mean, look, after all, the 
Paro, the king of Egypt, had a dream. And that dream turned out to be perfectly accurate, as Yosef explained it to him. Right? Very accurate. So, Yachalom Yosef Chalom, by Agayd Lechav, and and sometimes even truth produces hate. Right? You, you know, like like here comes Yosef, and he has a dream, and the dream indicates that he's going to be the king. It's not just Yaakov that is appointing him the king, but God is appointing him the king, and they hated him for that. They hated him even though they knew it was true. They knew it was true, which I can prove uh, uh, immediately. So either you say Yosef was a, was a dumbbell, or there was some other point. Like, why did Yosef, Yosef must have known that they hated him. I mean, it wasn't something that they were hiding. So when Yosef, Yosef uh, 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 comes and he says, I want to tell you my dream. You think you hate me now? Wait till you hear my dream. Then you'll really hate me. But, so that's obviously not what happened. What happened was that Yosef said to himself, of this, I'm, I'm surmising, Yosef said to himself, look, they hate me because they think my father chose me to be the king. But I'll tell them the dream, they'll understand that God chose me to be the king. And God chose me to be a king, so, so that would be a good reason to stop, uh, ha- stop hating me. So then, Pasuk Zion, Hine anachlum almim alumim betocha sadeh, v'hine kama alumati, v'gam nitzava, hine tisubena alumotechem, v'tishtachabena alumati. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to, to get the metaphor here. And to understand that there's the truth, and the truth is limited. Right? What is, what is it that he's dreaming about? Shibalimba Sadeh. What is Shibalimba Sadeh? You know, you take the, <coughs> you take the standing wheat, and you hold it in one hand, and then you take a scythe, the little one, which is called sickle. A sickle, and you cut away at it, right? And then you make these, you tie it together, and you have, uh, standing wheat cut down, in the field. So the metaphor, of course, is food. And the dream of the Shibalim is about what happened to Yosef. <coughs> what happened to Yosef? He became the king of Egypt. But the king of Egypt was the king of the food of the world. He was the king of the food of the entire world. That's the first dream. And so, of course, Vayomu Lo. Achiv, Amaloch tim lochaleinu, im mashol tim sholbanu. So you see, they're part of the dream. Amaloch tim lochaleinu, yes. Amashol tim sholbanu, yes. Because they they themselves, angry as they are, are interpreting the dream correctly. Exactly. You know the fact that they they, they may have put a question mark at the end. <coughs> okay. But that's what they say. They know exactly what the dream means. They hated him even more. 
And then Yosef had another dream. And what was this dream? By Yisapir Oto Lechav, by Yomer, Hinei Chalamti Chalom Od, Hinei Hashemesh Ve'yerech V'achadosa Kochadim, Mishtachavim Li. So of course this is a different dream. Shemesh, Yareach, and Achadas Kochavim. That's the cosmos. That's Malchus. That's the real McCoy. You're, you're controlling the heavens. I mean, that is the highest form of kingship that the Jewish people could imagine. Not just the king over people, but the king of reality. The king of all things that are. That's what Yosef, that's what Yosef dreamt. And, and to this dream, there is no response. The brothers have nothing to say. They, they, they too are overwhelmed. And so this time, so, okay, so Yaakov said what he said and the interpretations of what they are, the interpretations of what they are, but what's important, what's important to remember is that these dreams were true and they came true and that the anger, the sinah, the sinah of the brothers to Yosef was based on the fact that Yosef was the youngest, that he was not in line for kingship of any kind. Okay? Now I remind you of the story, I remind you the story of the sale of Yosef to the Yishma'elim. Right? There was this, first they threw Yosef into a pit and then Ruvain saved him. Ruvain. Now, who's Ruvain? The oldest son of the oldest of the of the first wife. Ruvain's oldest son. So that means Ruvain. <coughs> Ruvain is at least in lineage the one who should become king. Ruvain. Ruvain says, "Don't kill him. Let's throw him into a pit." And that's what they did. <coughs> so, Chazal say that Ruvain was not such a great tzaddik, that what Ruvain said was, let's not kill him physically, so that we will be actually responsible for his death. But let's put him someplace where he will probably die. Like you put him in a, in a pit. We'll put him in a pit and in a pit, he will probably die. And furthermore, the, the, the Torah says, and you know the Chazal say that, which means, which means that if you put somebody in a pit that he can't climb out of and you leave him there, something terrible is likely to happen. That was Reuven. Then Reuven left. Reuven left. He wasn't prepared. He, Reuven, was not prepared to watch over the what he had, what he had uh, uh, created. He went back to his father. He went back to his father and left Yosef behind. And then the Ishmaelim came, these Arabs who were on their way to Egypt. And along comes Yehuda, and Yehuda in the first 
act of leadership that we can kind of connote. Yehuda says in that pasuk here, pasuk kavav, which is at the end of that paragraph that we were learning, vayome Yehuda el echav ma betza ki naroget achinu v'chisinu et damo. I mean, this is really one of the uh, most disappointing statements that you could ever imagine from a person destined for greatness. Ma betza means, what do, we, what do we get for this? How much money are we going to make if we just let Yosef die? Let's sell him. Let's sell him. So the first act of, of leadership that Yehuda was able to display was this. Ma betza. That's Yehuda. So Yehuda beat Reuven because Reuven was willing to let Yosef die. And Yehuda figured out a way to let Yosef live. But it wasn't malchut. It wasn't kingship. It was just a trick that Yehuda used. Let's give him, let's help the Ishmaelim, so then we'll get, <coughs> we'll get some money. We'll get some money for it. Okay? The next pasuk. You know, when they're talking about going to Egypt, like uh, Yosef demanded that the Binyamin come back with the, with the group and come back to Egypt, so, the, so Ruvain says, Ruvain at that time, Perek Membet Pasuk Lamed Zayin, Ruvain says, Vayomer Reuvain El Aviv Lemor, Echtei Banai Tamit, Imlo Avienu Elecha, Tna Oto Al Yadai, Al Yadi, Vani Ashivenu Elecha. So, here's Ruvain. Reuven is trying to reassert himself, to, to say, I can still be the king. I, he says to Yaakov, I'll do it. I'll be in charge. I'll be in charge of what... Uh, in the next, next part of the story, Vayomer Yehuda. Suddenly Yehuda takes the leading role. And he says, Mano Maladoni, Manidaber, Manitstadak, Alukim Matsa et Avon Avadecha, Ininu Avadim Ladoni, Kamanachtu, Kamasher Nimtsa, Hagavia Biado. So Yehuda is talking to, uh, to Yosef, and he says to him, We know the dream. We know the dream of the Shibolim. We know the dream of the, of the wheat in the fields. And that the wheat bowed down to, to Yosef's wheat. So we know that we're dependent on Yosef for food. We know that we come here and that we bow down. That's what he says. Ma nitztadak elokim atzad avon avadecha venu avadim ladoni gavanachnu kamasher nimzagavia biyado like we're all slaves to Yosef, a Yomer, Khalilali, Masotzot. He says, Yosef says, Well, I can't do that. 
האיש אשר נמצא גביע בידו, the one who had this cup of mine, who yeli eved, ואתם עלו לשלום על אביכם. So here you have Yehuda confronting Yosef. Yehuda doesn't win in this confrontation, but he can confronts him. Now the beginning of this week's parasha, the beginning. And I was, I, I, what I think is happening is that there's this difficulty in, in understanding who the king of Israel should really be. Who should it be? So the Pesach says, uh, the first Pesach in the parasha of Ayigash. Vayigash elav Yehuda vayomer. And Yehuda comes to Yosef and says, Be Adoni, please, Yedaber na'avdecha davar ba'aznei Adoni. Let me speak to you, man to man, mouth to ear, one to the other. Vayichar apcha ba'avdecha do not get angry. I recognize the fact that you are like Paro. So what do you think? Is this the way an underling speaks to a, to a ruler? He says, hey, uh, don't get angry, Jack. You know, everything will be all right. Let's be, let's be friends. Uh, and, and don't get too angry at me. Not exactly what we would expect. But look at the Rashi. You see Rashi at the end, Kika Mocha Keparo, four lines from the bottom. You see Kika Mocha, that's what, that's what Yehuda said to Yosef. He said, you are like Paro. You are like Paro. In other words, what is he saying, you are like Paro? What does that mean? What? Maybe, but then more particularistically, what is he saying? You're like Paro. Paro is not my king, and you are not my king. You just have all the power. You have all the power. But power doesn't make you a legitimate king. They could be the illegitimate. You're not my king. Kika mocha keparo Yehuda says, you and Paro are the same. Now look at Rashi. You and Paro are the same. You're not my king. You're not telling me what to do. You're not directing the way I should live my life. So look at Rashi. Rashi says, Ki kamoch keparo, Chashuv ata ba'inai, Kemelech, Zepshutov. So Rashi says, Pshat. You are for me, as the king of Egypt. Right? I don't, it was just like I, I am in awe of him, or I have respect for him, I have respect for you. You, Yosef. Are you, uh, you know, whoever you are, whoever his name is at that time. But we're talking about Yosef, right? Zepshuto. When Rashi says Zepshuto, Rashi means insufficient. That's what Zepshuto means. It's a code word for Rashi. Rashi says, okay, you could read it this way. If you don't think about it too much, you can read the words in this way, Zepshuto. But Rashi says, we, we in southern France in the, the 12th century, we're not satisfied with that. We've got to look a little further. And what do we find when we look a little further? Well, Medrashot. What does Medrashot mean? <coughs> that you could read 
the phrase, the words, as though they were totally disconnected from each other and from the pasuk. It's a legitimate way to read, to read the Torah, according to Rashi. That's Medrash show. And also it's true that the Medrash show is usually found in a source. He doesn't, Rashi doesn't invent Medrashim. He, he copies them, right? Medrash show. So it says, Medrash show, Sovcha, Gozer, Sovcha, I'm sorry, uh, Lil Kot, Alav, Bitsarat, Kemoshilakapar O. Al Yidei Ziknati Zekenati Sarah Alayla Achat Sheshachva Sheikva. I'm sorry. Alayla Achat Sheikva. There is Kikamocha Kibaro. Which Paro is he talking about? Is Yehuda talking about? He's talking about the Paro who uh, wanted to uh, keep Sarah, his grandmother and make her his wife. And Ikva, Laila Echad, and this went on for one night, right, this attempt by Paro to do that. And at the end, Paro became um, a leper. Sarat. It's like Yehuda is saying to Yosef, don't be such a big shot. You remember when there was a confrontation between Avram Avinu and Paro, what was the result? What was the result? Paro was smitten. He had to back down. He couldn't take Sarah as his wife. She says. That's what Yehuda is saying. So the simple shot is, oh, I have a lot of respect for you. You know, you're like, uh, I respect you like I respect Paro. But the, the drash that the Rashi quotes is, who are you? Who are you? What do you have to say here? You, you know, you're just you're just a second class Paro, and we know what happened to Paro. So I would, if I were you, Yehuda says, I'd be a little nervous that you're confronting me, me Yehuda. And then the Varacher, another possibility, Ma Paro Gozer Veinomikaye. Just like Paro promises but does not fulfill, you also promise and you don't fulfill. That's what it means when you say, I'm going to take note of it. I'm going to look into it. Okay, this is, a, this is like a digressive uh, point, but let's look at the third drasha. The third Rashad that Rashi says is Davar Acher Ki Kamocha Kiparo Imtakniteni Listen to this If you annoy me Who's talking? Who's talking? Yehuda is talking to Yosef He doesn't know he's Yosef But he's talking to him He says Im Imtakniteni if you really give me a hard time, Erog Otcha Ve'et Adonecha, I will kill you, and I will kill your master, Paro, the master Paro. So certainly, 
it's not hard to say that the divergence between the pshat and the drash is like 180 degrees. Right? There's absolutely no connection between them. But Rashi says, Rashi says, why would Yehuda confront Yosef and then kowtow to him? Bow down. Genuflect. He's trying to save things. He's not trying to, to rack up points with Yosef. Not at all. So, kika mocha kiparo, kika mocha kiparo means, according to the Medrash, I'll either kill you both, or Paro has already exhibited that he has no strength or power against Am Yisrael, the leadership of Am Yisrael, which at that time was, we're talking about Avram Avinu and Sore Menu, and certainly now that we're talking about Yehuda representing Yaakov, in the discussion with in the discussion with Yosef, and so let's look at the medrash, the two medrashim that are on the back of the page. I mean, what I try to what I try to explain to you is that somehow, somehow, even though Yosef is the king of Israel, the king of Egypt, but he is not he is not uh, the king of Am Yisrael. He's not the king of Am Yisrael. He has all the power. And he has all the glory. But he's not the king of Am Yisrael. Who becomes the king of Am Yisrael? Yehuda. Yehuda becomes the king of Am Yisrael. He stands up to Yosef, thinking that Yosef is an Egyptian, of course. And he tells Yosef that he will not be able, that he will not be able to overcome the power that he, Yehuda, has representing the tribes of Israel. Well, uh, you're like the third person who said that to me today. Okay, so what does that mean? No, it's a Chazal say say Mishir Ben Yosef, but they it's like a different way. What I said at the beginning before you came was that Yosef, Yosef, that there could be two kings in Israel. You know, there could be a king who's a tzaddik and a king who is a, a Talmud Chochem. That's what the, the Rav Tzorik says. Rav Tzorik says, Machshevet Charutz. He says that these, this idea that there's two kings which exist at the same time, which we saw later on in Jewish history, but is like in, in Jewish history, it's like they really happened that there were two kings because there was the king of the Shibolet the king of the wheat, right? That was Yosef. He had all the food. He was giving it out. He was making he was making the kingdom rich. And then there was the other kingship of the sun and the moon and the stars. With the sun and the moon and the stars, that's when when uh, uh, Yaakov Avinu tried to stop the story from being told, because Yaakov Avinu knew against Rashi. Now. Not like Rashi, but Yaakov even knew that Yosef was not going to become that king. He was the king of the Shibolot, but he was not the king of the Shemesh Yereach and the Kochavid. He was not going to be that king. And that king turned out to be Yehuda. And Yehuda was designated from the time that he was born, right, as special. Right, something that special happened when the fourth son was born to Leah. So look quickly at this at this uh, statement in the in the Medrash Rabbah, 
You see the pasuk in Tehillim above the Medrash Rabbah, Ki Inei HaMalachim Noadu Avru Yachtav. This is a, a pasuk which is used explained by Rashi, for example, as being the Malachim, the, the nations of the world, get together to fight against Yerushalayim. But the Medrash sees it in a different way. The Medrash says, Inei HaMalachim Noadu Avru Yachtav, right? Avru is is to get anger, angry, right? So the 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 major says, "Ki yeneam lachim zeyhudavi Yosef, avru yachdav zenit balei evra al zeh vezenit balei evra al zeh." In other words, the the uh, the fight that was taking place between Yehuda and Yosef was hinted at in this pasuk in Tehillim. And in this Pasuk in Tehillim, both of them are called, according to, and the Medrash points to it. Medrash says it's Yehudavi Yosef, right? But it's, it's not what the, the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says Melachim, uh, all kinds of Melachim. But the Medrash says it's Yehudavi Yosef, and Yehudavi Yosef were angry and yelling and screaming at each other and trying to do each other in because there was this fight between the one who represented the temporal Malchus, uh, the Malchus in, in the world, and that was Yosef, and the one who represented the higher form of, of Malchus, right? That was the Malchus of Israel. I mean, you never heard of a king who was ordered to carry around the Sefer Torah with him all the time as the king of Israel was ordered to carry around that Sefer Torah in order to make sure that he would be able to respond morally, properly, and ethically to situations that came up. So this was like like the debate that took place between between uh, Yosef and Yehuda. Between Yosef and Yehuda. Okay. Look at the next Medrash. The next Medrash is four lines from the bottom. It, it, the first part of it is not the thing to do with us. Omar of Yehuda by the fifth line from the bottom, the fourth line from the bottom, at the end of the line. Right? You see that? Omar of Yehuda by Eloi? It's a name. Beshevach Yehuda HaKatuv Medaber. The Pasuk is talking about Yehuda and how great he is. Begimel Mekonoti Ber Yehuda Befnei Echav Vasu Oto Melech Alehem. The major says it. Says there are three times when Yehuda took upon himself leadership. He took the leadership of Bnei Yisrael of the brothers, and as a result, the major says. Uh, major says, "Vasu oto melech alehem." In other words, he was appointed king. Because he had these kingly qualities. He proved himself to have those kingly qualities. And the first time was by Avo Yehuda Vechav, when they came back to their father, by Gashe Lav Yehuda. No, I'm sorry, I missed one. The first one was Yoma Yehuda Lechav. Right, that was when they decided to sell Yosef. And uh, again, Yehuda is taking the lead when he goes to talk to his father. 
And then Vaigash Elav Yehuda, our our pasuk, uh, the beginning of our of our parasha. So so you see that you could say that Yosef. It was clear that Yosef was going to become the second in command in Egypt. And that kingship was his. And there was nothing that could happen to stop it. And that's if you read the parish in Vayeshev, if you read the story of Yosef, Yosef goes, he says, maybe I'll go and check on my brothers. They hated him. Maybe I'll say, find a, a somebody along the way and says, maybe you know where they are. Yeah, sure, they went to Taina. They went over there. And then the whole story of Yosef being thrown into the pit and then thrown to the Ishmaelim. Yosef doesn't say a word. He doesn't react. He doesn't react in the story. He doesn't, he's like a non-player. He's not part of what's going on. Why? Because Yosef knew that it would end the way it ended. It didn't matter what happened. That's called hashkacha, right? That, that, that there is a, a kind of divine watchfulness over certain things. You just don't always know where, where it's going. But Yosef knew perfectly well where it was going because he had a ketonet pasin and his father loved him. And it was clear to Yo- Yaakov that Yosef had this special uh, uh, charge that he was going to do all of these things. But when it comes to the second dream, the dream of the stars, then Yaakov knew that there was something wrong, that that dream was not about Yosef. It was about somebody who had not yet been determined. And that's why Yaakov says to Yaakov, says to Yosef, what do you mean? You mean I'm going to come and your mother's going to come and she was already dead? And so we all see that, that he tried to he, Yaakov, tried to uh, calm down the brothers. But really what he was doing was something else. He was explaining to Yosef that dream number two was not about Yosef. That dream number two was about the Melech. And the Medrash says, the Medrash says there are three points in time where you see that Yehuda asserted himself and that enabled him to become the king to become the king of, of Israel ultimately. And so we see, we see that uh, the, even though ya- Yaakov promised kingship to Yehuda, that's where we started out this discussion, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that Yehuda, and only Yehuda, could be the king. But if somebody prom- uh, proves himself to be worthy, that person could also be the king. So Shaul HaMelech could be a king and Yeravam Ben-Avad could be a king and all the descendants of Yeravam Ben-Avad could be kings even though they were all uh, uh, terrible people and finally they were exiled at the head of, of the ten tribes by the, by the Assyrians. Okay, have a good Shabbos.